0: All right. good afternoon, so this conference has had a, a ton of great speakers, so you've gotten to here Tony Morita. you'll hear Danny Aiken in a little bit, you heard uh, David Platt, and so you guys all might be wondering what on earth is that guy doing on the stage right now given the, given the lineup we've already had. So what I'm going to do is stick to something I know very well, which is talking about your work in global missions. So for a few minutes I want to talk to you about your work and how it intersects with God's global mission. And In my life, God's really blessed me with some unique experience. So I've been able to be in business for about the last 20 years, primarily as an entrepreneur, starting various technology companies. I even started a company in El Salvador at one point. Uh, And he's also graciously allowed me for, for, for the last 20 years to be a part of a great church in Washington, DC, where I saw the gospel proclaimed, where I saw disciples made, churches planted and leaders sent out. And all of that has really come together uh, for uh, a passion to see God's glory among the nations. And so now I'm at the International Mission Board. So growing up, I always thought I wanted to be an attorney. And the primary reason for that had nothing to do with knowing what lawyers did. It was because there were some TV shows on that had lawyers arguing and that seemed really fun. So that's what I wanted to do. Well, and I, I kind of had this dream until I was about 21 and uh, the summer of after my junior year in college, I actually worked in a law firm. And I, I literally fell asleep every single afternoon in that law firm reading things. So just a little tip to those of you who are students thinking about what to do next, try it out even for a couple of weeks and you might find out if you love it or not. So after that summer, I realized my brain really works more in numbers and bullet points than it does in paragraphs and prose. So I went into business. So. With that foundation, let me give you a couple of sets of, set of numbers to kind of frame missions and what's happening. So the first, let's kind of think about the current state of missions. So let's take kind of Southern Baptists, or let's just look at Southern Baptists, it's claimed that there's about 14 million Southern Baptists and we know, you know pastors exaggerate, so let's just say there's 10 million just for the sake of uh, making our math a little bit easier. It's also reported that there's about 10,000 full-time Baptist missionaries globally. So about 10,000 full-time missionaries, which basically means one out of every thousand Baptists, Southern Baptists, goes and is a full-time missionary. Effectively, that's 0.1%. In a room about this size, that would mean one of you all is gonna go into full-time missions. Obviously, we're at a missions conference, so we'll assume that number's a little bit bigger. So, but, but basically, Right? 0.1%. Now, put in perspective, there's about 3 billion people in the world who are considered unreached or unengaged. So we have 3 billion people who are unreached and 10,000 people trying to reach them full time, which basically means for every 300,000 unreached people, there's one person looking to reach them. Sort of overwhelming right? When we think about the numbers that way. And it's actually more overwhelming when you consider population growth and the fact that the percentage of missionaries are not keeping up with that population growth. So just to pause and encourage you all, I know you guys got letters to send to missionaries. We praise God for those 10,000 who are laboring in difficult places. We want to encourage them and appreciate them. So I'd encourage you all to do that. So that's, that's one way to look at what's happening in global emissions. Let me give you another perspective on it, again using numbers. So it's estimated that the average person, and guess what, we're all average people, will spend 80,000 hours working in their lifetime. So 40 years, 50 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, that equals 80,000. So you guys are at zero right now, just to set that stage for you guys. You're at zero of 80,000. So imagine we go back to those 10 million Southern Baptists. And let's assume for a second, you know, some percentage of them aren't working anymore, some haven't started, et cetera. We'll just kind of take the average, they all have 40,000 hours left to work. And if, if we add that all up, that means collectively, we have 400 billion hours to work. Well, suddenly our equation looking at Unreached People Group gets a little bit different. Right? If we think about reaching 3 billion people with 400 billion hours of time, effectively what it means is that if every single one of us were to work, live and worship among unreached people for four weeks in our lifetime, then mathematically every single unreached people would at least have access to the gospel. So this is a little bit of an overly simplistic way to look at it and it doesn't at all lead us to conclude that Uh, full-time missionaries are no longer important or or essential for the work overseas, but it at least makes us wanna ask ourselves, how can we position our jobs, how can we position our work to intersect with God's global mission? So if if we have 400 billion hours of work to do, how can that somehow intersect with God's global mission? So to answer that question, let me give you all four principles. So four principles to think about this question. Principle one, Your work, sorry, who you work for is more important than what you do. So principle one, who you work for is more important than what you do. So we could spend a whole lot of time talking about a theology of work, but they didn't give me enough time. So instead of doing all that, instead of unpacking it, just a quick summary. What does the Bible say about our work? Well, we, we understand from the Bible that, that work is part of God's creation. We were created to work. God, uh, in, in Genesis, actually gave Adam and Eve the responsibility to work the garden, to, to produce fruit in it. And in the garden, of course, work was perfect. Work was easy. We always enjoyed what we did. We were perfectly matched up with our skills, with the opportunities that were there. Our passions, our interests, and our opportunities all came together. Of course, that all changed in Genesis 3 with the fall. So in the fall, God, cursed after Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed our work. It it changed when they disobeyed his command. And so really for Christians, that's really important to understand. And it sets an expectation for our work that in a fallen world, your work is actually never gonna be as interesting, fun, enjoyable, perfect as you ever want it to. A very simple thing to think about, think about mowing a lawn, right? You mow a lawn and then it grows back again tomorrow. It's impermanent, it never lasts, it's always difficult. And that, that's helpful for us. So God created us to work, but we work in a fallen world. But then he gives us instruction on how it is we should go about our work. I think Colossians three twenty-two through 24 It's one of the most simple and helpful passages to think about our work. Paul says, we should do our work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, he goes on to write, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So this, this is an amazing passage for understanding your work. And, and obviously talking to college students, I hope you understand for you all, your work is as a college student right now. You can understand that's a part of what God's given you to do. How are you to go about doing that? Well, based on this passage, you're to do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You don't work for your parents. You don't work for your professors. You don't even ultimately work for yourself. Who do you work for? You work for the king. You work for the Lord of Lords. And and even beyond that, it's not just the Lord gives you that, the king gives you that to to just pass the time. It's actually service that you render to the king himself. And, And I would say even more so, your work, what you're doing as a student is actually one of the primary ways God intends to make you more like Jesus. So he'll use your work to sanctify you, to develop your character, to teach you to to, to know him and to serve him more and more, to understand his character. All of that fits in God's great story of creation, sin, redemption, uh, all of it God has purposes for. And so your work, whatever it is, is for the king. Now, I know as college students, you're you're probably going to be very motivated by and think, well, I want to do a job that I'm very passionate about. I, I will give my all, I'll give maximum effort when what I'm doing is more enjoyable or it's easier, or it pays better, or this or that. But just to underscore, it's essential to understand that if, if working for the king is not your primary motivator, and is not what ultimately motivates you, we already know in a fallen world we'll always lack the motivation we need to do the work because it'll never live up to our expectations for it. And I would say this is gonna be even more true. If you wanna go overseas with your work, you need to cultivate even now a sense of all the work I do is motivated by service to the king. So when times get tough or things don't go the way they should, that's gonna be my anchor for all the work that I do. So who you work for is more important than what you do. So let's move on to the second principle. Now with that out of the way. Number two, whatever you do, there's whatever you do should be done with faithfulness. So who here here's ever tried to juggle? Has anyone tried to juggle? Yeah, you know, you start with one ball, you kind of can catch it pretty easy. Then you add a second ball and it gets a little easier. Sometimes you drop it, maybe you add a third ball and now, you know, if you're like me, it gets even, it gets even more complicated and more difficult, right? It's kind of hard to juggle more and more balls. Well, I, I think this is probably how, uh, especially, Uh, we can sometimes look at the various responsibilities God gives us, and especially as a young person, right? You kind of start by juggling one ball, but then more and more balls are going to get added to your plate over time. And so all of a sudden, we can act and think that these balls are in competition against each other, right? That we're we're meant by God to juggle all these balls, and it's our job to figure out which one we put down and which one we pick up and and how do we juggle them all and, and, and what's the relationship between them. Well, the Bible actually doesn't depict our life and the responsibility God gives us as a juggling act. That's, that's actually not, not the way that the Bible talks to us about our work. According to the Bible, we have one primary responsibility and then every other responsibility, every secondary responsibility is subordinate to that. So what's our primary responsibility? Well, Matthew 6:33 clearly states, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So see, our one responsibility, your one responsibility is to serve God, right? To, to be a disciple of the Lord. And all the other ways that you do that are through the various assignment God gives you. So you have one primary responsibility in all these ways that you do it. Let me, let me give you another way to think about this. Uh, and... um. I I try never to miss an opportunity to talk about the glory days of uh, being a pitcher uh, back in the day. And so uh, let me explain it in pitching terms. So back when I was a pitcher, every single inning would start and I'd have one clear goal, right? What is that? Get three outs. That's what my one overriding responsibility was. Now how do I do that? Well, I throw balls, I throw strikes, I look into the catcher's sign, I check a runner on first base, I back up third base if I have to, hopefully never home because they're not coming home, uh, et cetera, right? I, I do all of these tasks, but all of them are around one simple principle, get three outs. However I do it, that's what I have to do. So again, your discipleship to Jesus is not one ball going around in your life. It's actually the whole purpose and point of your entire life. It's your first responsibility and everything else from church life to student life to relationships and friendships, all of those are ordered by that one primary responsibility. So actually, just as an aside, Christians never talk about living a balanced life. You know why? Because they always live a sold out life. They're just trying to figure out how do I use the energies and the resources I have to in these various areas in a sold out manner. So we need to be faithful in all those assignments and whatever we do. So that brings us to our third principle. So who you work for is more important than what you do and whatever you've done should be done with faithfulness. So the third principle, faithfulness today is the greatest predictor of fruitfulness tomorrow. So faithfulness today is the greatest predictor of fruitfulness tomorrow. So there's a number of places we can go in the Bible to look at this principle. So we could, we could kind of look at the story of Joseph and, and other things, but I wanna just go to the, the parable of the talents in Matthew. So. If you remember this one, it's when Jesus shares a story of three servants and each of them are given talents, which actually means opportunities. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean like abilities, it just means opportunities. Uh, and they're given different, actually different amounts of, of opportunities or talents and they're to use them for the steward or for the master while the master's gone. If you remember in the story, the master comes back and the first person says, I put my five talents to work and, uh, or 10 talents to work and the master says, well done. The second comes back and says, I put mine to work and the master says, well done. And the third, what happens? He comes and he says, I didn't put my talents to work. And what did the master say? You unfaithful servant. He condemns him. So the Bible clearly shows that patterns of faithfulness will produce fruit. Conversely, unfaithfulness produces nothing but condemnation from the master. So there's a significant danger in me or anyone else in a conference like this telling every Christian to go to the, to the nations right now. There's very few things that would be less helpful for global missions than exporting Christians to the nations who are unfaithful in the assignments that they have right now. So if you are not faithful where you are right now, getting it on an airplane will not solve that. The reality for many of you is that the best thing you can do right now is to stay put and to learn to be faithful in the assignments that God has given you. And I'd say there's kind of two big buckets you could probably work on right away. That of being a disciple maker where God currently has you and being excellent in your, as a worker wherever God has you. So how do you grow as faithfulness as a, as a disciple maker? How do you plan and prepare for that? Well, we, we know that every Christian has a responsibility to make disciples. And, and the way we do that is in all the arenas God's already put us in. Again, it's not like I'm juggling things. I'm a disciple maker everywhere I am, in my church, in my family, in my relationships, in my workplace, in my school. All of these are places we are to be disciple makers. So that actually means that every single one of us, because we're on the globe, are already called to be global disciple makers. Now one of the main instruments God is gonna use in your life as a disciple maker is the local church. So again, that's not gonna change if you go overseas. Because the goal if you go overseas is to plant churches, to be involved in a local church. And so start being involved in a local church even now. So if you haven't joined a local church and committed to one, do it immediately. And if you are part of a local church, then ask someone in that church to help you grow as a disciple maker. Watch someone who you see being faithful in the various areas of their life and ask them if they can help you grow in your life. You know, when I talk to folks about missions, when I talk to them about going overseas to do cross-cultural ministry, I wanna know what their ministry and disciple making looks like right where they are. So what is your evangelism, your discipleship, your involvement in a local church? What do all those things look like? Guess what? Going overseas where you have none of your friends or family where you don't know the culture, where you need to learn a language and then do ministry is not easier, it's actually harder. And so if you're not doing it where you are now, it's not gonna happen when you go somewhere else. Okay, what about as a worker? How do you grow in faithfulness as a worker? So just think about this for a second, that principle I talked about before, that who you work for is more important than what you did. How would your studies change if you approached it as an arena to, 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 to bring God glory and to grow as a disciple. How, how would you think about it if all of your interactions with professors, with other students, with your parents about your studies, with if you're working with your customers or other employees, how would that all change if you stopped seeing it as just a thing you did and you actually prayed about that arena, and how God would give you grace and give you perseverance and give you excellence in in your interactions. Now, every situation that might normally irritate you or frustrate you from missed deadlines to tensions to papers that are due are suddenly opportunities to pray, to pause, and to think, okay, God has brought me to this situation in my life. What does he want me to learn from it? So that's how you can grow in, in grace and grow in excellence and faithfulness as a worker. Use every opportunity you have today as an opportunity to do do that. He wants you to be faithful with those opportunities he's given you. Grow in faithfulness as a disciple maker and as a worker. And so this brings us to our fourth principle. So who you work for is more important than what you do and whatever you do should be done with faithfulness and faithfulness today is the greatest predictor of fruitfulness tomorrow. That leads us to the fourth which is fruitfulness leads to freedom. Fruitfulness leads to freedom. So the point at which you are most faithful and fruitful in your work, and in your disciple making, is the point at which you are most ready to go. So freely, prayerfully, consider going somewhere. So, so here's the thing, if you're a faithful and fruitful Christian, there are no bad options for you. There's really not a bad option, right? You can, you can, uh, go or stay, you can go into full-time Christian work, you can stay in secular work, all of that, you have lots of different options and none of them are bad, right? Churches need to be planted and established churches need help here in the US. They need faithful and fruitful members and disciple makers. Also, unreached people and places need faithful and fruitful missionaries and disciples. There's really no bad option for you. You have freedom to consider all those options once you're there. Now, one initiative I do want to just pause and talk about is if, if you are at a place where you're saying, you know what, I think by God's grace, I'm being faithful exactly where I am. I think by God's grace, I'm bearing fruit in my workplace, uh, in, in my school, uh, in, in my relationships. I've talked to folks around me, and I think I'd like to go, and I'd like to go not by leaving my job, but leveraging my job, then... I I do wanna talk to you about one opportunity that we're launching at the IMB. We're calling it the Global Cities Initiative in which we're challenging some to think about not leaving their work but staying in their work and joining missionary teams overseas. So, So what is the Global Cities Initiative? So as the world grows, in urban, or as urban populations move to cities and as world population grows, we see that, for example, about over 50% of the world's wealth is in 300 cities around the world. So we see urban centers not being places uh, are, are, are places where the, where the unreached are coming to. So a lot of global cities have 30, 40 unreached people groups in them. So we as the IMB are trying to develop comprehensive city strategies in these places to reach unreached people and we're trying to integrate more than just full time missionaries in the work. We're trying to integrate professional students and retirees into the work in those cities. And so we've launched a pilot in five different cities in London, in Mumbai, in Shanghai, in Dubai, and Kuala Lumpur. And in those cities, we're encouraging people to think, if I've got a skill and I can get a job in one of these cities and be intentional and deliberate about disciple making and missionary work, then I'm instead of leaving my job, I'm gonna go find a job over there or I'm gonna go study as a student over there. Essentially what we're saying is, be deliberate about ministry to a people group in that city as you work, live and worship uh, the same way that you would here. And, and already we're seeing a whole, uh, a whole set of skills happening there. So in some cities, people who are more entrepreneurial, uh, we've got a guy who started a carpet business so he can kind of get out into the community and he actually sells the carpets back here. Uh, From professionals, we've had folks go as pilots or engineers, computer programmers, uh, medical and education fields, and students, of course. You know, Shanghai, for example, has over a million students in it, and some universities over there will actually cover your costs if you want to go study over there. So there's opportunities globally for you all to be a part of God's mission while you work and worship every day. So all of this of course though requires Christians who are again faithful in what they're doing every day and fruitful in the work. So let me just go back to those numbers I started with. So again, this room as I look at it represents massive potential for global mission. It, just think about what God could do with a thousand disciples in this room using the 800 million hours of work that you all will have faithfully for his glory among unreached peoples and places. Amongst people who have never heard as you rub shoulders with them every day and as again you work and worship with them every day. What might result from that? Right? What could God do with disciples who are sent from churches to the nations because of the faithful lives that they're already living right where they are? Well, of course, only God knows the answer to what he can do with the 800 million hours represented in this room of work. But what we can know is that God desires faithful disciples who are making disciples and planning churches among the nations and around this country. So the question for you is, are you being faithful today in the assignments that God has given you? Let me close in prayer. Lord, I do praise and thank you for all these folks who have come to hear your word, to be challenged about global missions. Lord, to think about how they can spend their lives most effectively for the gospel. I pray that you would make this room, that they would be faithful in all their assignments. You would make them faithful in the work you've given them to do. Lord, and that you would bear fruit through them in many good ways. Lord, we know that you have prepared good works in advance for them to do. We pray, Lord, that they would be uh, faithful in pursuing them. Thank you for them in your son's name, amen.